In the words of Public Enemies Chuck D. Bring the noise. Fifth Element Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is what's good. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, one and all. Hope everybody's had a good week. My week's been okay, actually. It's not. It's not been too bad. We obviously had the bank holiday. Celebrating the bank holiday weekend. Everybody sending good vibes everywhere. Feeling good. Everybody blasted tunes. Very summery couple days, and now it's kind of gone back to regress to the mean. It's about. Uh, currently it's about you know 16, 17 degrees, which is okay. It's good, nice, nice t-shirt jacket weather. It's not not bad. T-shirt, get a little hoodie right quick, a little zip up, you know, just just, just in case uh, you know it gets uh, colder during the day. But yeah, it's it's been a it's been an okay week. I mean, production wise, you know, it's been a bit slow for me personally. But um, yeah, other than that, it's been it's been good vibes all, all along. It's been good, good, good vibes. <sighs> Formalities before we begin. Email, Twitter. IG, do I put IG on there? I don't think I put IG on there because I don't have IG other than my personal one. You can find me on the personal one if you want, but I don't put the IG there anyway. IG technically, and also Facebook is also always uh, is always there as well. So any of those, be sure to hit me up. Be sure to just any feedback or anything like that. It's all good. In a week where Damien Lillard is an absolute cold. Cold boy, cold boy. If you saw that, if you saw that game winner last night, fifty piece, fifty piece. God damn it! That is the ice. That is that ice cold series dagger energy I need. That I've, I'm feeling energized from Damian Lillard. So big up Dame, big up Dame time. Logo Lillard, whatever you call him, he's a beast. I'm freaking believable. Anyway, I'm, I'm and I'm glad you. I'm glad people that actually watch the NBA, you know, know now that. Dame is top five. I, th- I think he's coming into that now, and I've already, I've always had him there. But it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you guys have finally woken up to, to Dame time. Anyway, he is the coldest boy. A redacted version of the Murray report has been released. Obviously, that's been going along for the past uh, few couple of weeks. Hundreds are arrested in London as part of the Extinction Rebellion protest. Quavo of all people invades my social media ad space with his Boohoo Man collab, the most random collaboration. Between a rapper and a clothing line since <sighs> never. I don't. I don't. I don't know. What I don't know. What think. My question is, and I've asked this already on digging digits. If you want to listen to that, go ahead and listen to that as well. Search it up from wherever you're listening, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. My question is, who is a fan of Migos and also shops at Boohoo Man? That that is the question, and I guarantee you that number is very very low. I, 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 it's very, very low. I, I'm sure of it. Also had the uh, Sri Lankan bombings. Uh, I think the number death toll at the moment is about 207, give or take. So you know that's obviously going, that's going onwards, uh, as as part of who did it and you know what the reaction and how you know Sri, Sri Lanka is going to come back from that. So there's obviously all that. And to finish the. In a week where, on the high note, there was I saw a, I saw a funny news story. Where it said a 74-year-old Welshman is a shot with a crossbow outside of his home. Imagine that you live in Wales and you're just like an old dude and you're just retired and you're just chilling. 
and then you get clipped with a crossbow. <laughs> you get pulled up on by a crossbow. <laughs> Ethel coming for you. <laughs> Ethel's coming for you, man. Ethel. <laughs> Ethel, don't give a fuck. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, we've got a stack show for you today. Got a full slate. Uh, you know, I've got a few. I've got a few things actually linking to each other. So I might actually start with. What should I? Yeah, I might actually start with that. So let's let's get into this, right? So this is um this is kind of in a similar vein. These two. I'll, I'll start with life because I've actually been holding it on this one for a while, and uh, you know I, I just like to keep it chronological. I've held, I've held this for literally twelve days, and so you know it's been a, it's been a bit, it's been a minute. Uh, so this is about um Amritsar. Um, if you don't know what that is, then that's the point. Uh, pretty much, because I don't think there are many, you know, especially people my age that even know what it is. Uh, hundred years on, remains and Trossy Britain cannot be allowed to forget. And yes, I'm going into this now. This is this is what we're going into. We're doing this, and the reason why is because I, you know, you you, you guys know me from now, by now. You guys know by now. I am highlighting these stories because I feel like there is a need to. I don't you know, talk about stuff that I don't feel, well, at bare minimum, I want to talk about, so, you know, it's, it's like that, and there are some topics, such as these, where I feel like, you know, I could talk about something else, but I feel like this is necessary, and I don't want it to let, I don't want it to just go past, like it's nothing, you know what I mean, I don't want to, I just don't want it to be, you know, a couple of news stories, news stories here and there, maybe a bit on Channel 4 for a good 10 minutes, but that's it, and then they move on for the you know, until next year on the same, in the exact same day, I don't want it to be that. I want it to be relevant. You know what I mean? And talked about past the day itself. So let's get into this. This is uh, by uh, uh, Mihir Bose. Mihir Mihir Bose. Yeah, M I H Y R Mihir. Yeah, probably. Anyway, tomorrow marks the centenary of a British general gunning down unarmed Indians who had gathered peacefully in a park in Amritsar, in India. You only have to mention the name of the park. Jalian Walla Bag for everyone to know what you're talking about. Yeah, hardly anyone in the UK has heard about. I'm just going to call it Bag from now on, just just because uh, the just the name makes me stop. Uh, the first one makes me stop. Let alone knows why the event was one of the worst atrocities of British rule in India. Nor do they appreciate why its legacy still lingers and colours relations between the UK and India to this day. The Amritsar massacre fundamentally changed how Indians saw the Raj, brackets the end of British rule, which ran from 1757 to 1947. It let Mahama Gandhi, who during the First World War had forsaken his pacifism to help recruit soldiers to preserve the empire to see British rule as satanic. Indians having contributed massively to the war victory in, uh, in both in men and money, were confident that the British would reward them with the sort of dominion status they had already given to the white people of Australia, New Zealand, Canada and South Africa. Indians' hopes were raised when in 1917 the Balfour Declaration promised Jews a homeland in Palestine. What they did not know was that the same year, the war, that was the same year, that, that the same year the war cabinet had secretly come into the conclusion that it would take Indians 500 years to learn to rule themselves. Then, after the war ended, instead of liberty, the British responded with draconian powers of search and arrest without warrant and detention without trial. 
The Indians call it a no dalil na vakil na appeal. No argument, no lawyer, no appeal. Tensions escalated, leading to British troops killing about 15 Indians in retaliation. Uh, five British civilians were killed. And telegraph wires co- connecting Amritsar to outside world were cut on April 13, 1919. General Reginald Dyer marched in. Dyer led a small party of soldiers to, to Bag, an open area of six or seven acres surrounded by high walls in the heart of Amritsar. There, 15,000 to 20,000 had gathered, including women and children, to dis- uh, some to discuss politics, but most to celebrate Baisaki, the Great Sikh Festival. Without any warning, and just 30 seconds after he entered the park, Dyer ordered, ordered his soldiers to fire. They fired for 10 minutes and stopped only because they had run out of ammunition. By, th- by then, 337 men, 41 women, and a baby of 7 weeks had been killed, with another 1,500 injured. The Indians claimed more than 1,000 were killed. And the carnage could have been worse. The alley that led to Bag was too narrow for Dyer's armoured cars, otherwise he would have taken them in and used their machine guns. He also had Indians whipped for not saluting him, but his most novel punishment was reserved for, uh, for the street where a female British missionary had been assaulted. Any Indian crossing the, uh, the street between 6am and 8pm had said, had he said to, quote, go through on all fours, unquote. The order enforced by British soldiers meant Indians could only proceed lying flat on their bellies and crawling exactly like reptiles, unquote. Despite this, the British in, the British in India saw uh, Dyer as the saviour of the Raj. Although Winston Churchill, then Secretary of State for War, pri- uh, privately said Dyer's action was murder, or at least manslaughter, the Cabinet Committee felt he would not be criminally charged, and while he fought, was forced to leave the army on half pay, his friends in Britain presented him as a victim of injustice. His admirers ranged from an Ulster from Ulster politicians such as Edward Carlson to the Archbishop of Canterbury, who called him a quote brave, public spirited, patriotic soldier. More astonishing was the reaction of the House of Commons, with Edwin Montagu, the Secretary of State for India, portrayed as anti dyer The House debated a motion to reduce Montagu's salary, a severe form of parliamentary censure. Among Tories at the time, it was <laughs> It was not what Dyer had done, but Montague's Jewishness that became the central issue. Austin Chamberlain, then Chancellor of the Exchequer, wrote, quote, On this occasion, all their English and racial feeling was stirred to a passionate display. Dot, dot, dot. A Jew rounding on an Englishman and throwing him to the walls. That was the feeling. The Morning Post started a Dyer fund, which gave him £26,000, 1.5 1.15 million in today's money. By contrast, each dependent of an Indian uh, of an Indian killed by Dyer received 500 rupees, which is a whopping 176 pounds today per body. When he died in 1927, Dyer was given an unofficial state funeral, with his coffin borne on a gun carriage through Admiralty Arch. Since then, the British and Indians have grown further apart when recalling this atrocity. In 1997, the Queen became became the first British monarch to visit the site of the massacre, but did not apologise. She merely signed the visitor's book at the memorial. Prince Philip, seeing the memorial, which spoke of 2000 being martyred, suggests Indians had doctored history. Quote, that's wrong, I was in the Navy with Dyer's son, unquote. In 2013, David Cameron became the first British Prime Minister to pay his respects in the memorial. 
but while admitting it was a, quote, deeply shameful event, he felt you could, quote, not reach back into history to apologise. Tomorrow, Indians are indeed reaching back into history and demanding an apology. Though, in the years of it after independence, India's first Prime Minister, Jawaharlal Nehru, stamped on efforts to mark the event. Now, Indian politicians such as Sashi Tharoor want the British to apologise for the empire and even pay reparations. Oh, we've talked, just a side note, we have talked about reparations before, and I guarantee you. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll continue. I'll just continue one more paragraph, and then I'll get into it because you know that's, that's. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go ham on this. It was conf- conf- uh, comforting for the British political class to talk of the Commonwealth as a unique family with many shared memories. The fact that the, <laughs> there is never there never was a such a family. The British Empire was at best a real life Downton Abbey. The black and brown people occupying the downstairs, while the whites had the upstairs. I shall stop there. There is one paragraph there if you want to read it. That'll be in the fifth element if you want to read the whole thing again and re- and refresh yourself. <sighs> so, yes, it's one of those things. It's one of it's one of those many, many atrocities, and I could go through and name others, but obviously this was an an- 100th anniversary, so then, you know, it just makes it that much more relevant for this time. Yeah, There was actually a, uh, a Guardian article the day later where... Um, you know, there was there was more of the same where basically people were going, uh, who who was it? Who was the person in in the Britain's High Commissioner to India? Uh, said, uh, went to went to Amritsar to um, basically do exactly what David Cameron did, just so like you can't reach into history. No, 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 no. Yeah, this is this is this is basically Britain's um, well from from the elite standpoint, and probably for the majority of people that you know are British believe that this is the way to go to acknowledge but not acknowledge the tragedy you know they they can they can say it happened and you know the fact that indians and britons are debating on how many people got killed <clears throat> i'm like i'm going to get closer to this one that's not the point the the, the the numbers are not the point the point is there was a freaking massacre that happened 100 years ago in India, right? Carried by a high-ranking British general. Okay, he got he was basically half celebrated in 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 that fashion where you know where like a a disgraced MP is kicked out of being an MP or whatever, but he's but he's still around. He's he's still around. He's a, he's still able to manoeuvre and you know pull some strings here and there. And it's 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 kind of like that. That's that's basically where Dyer was in that fashion. He was, you know, he could he could he could he could still do his things, you know. He, he, but he wasn't in the army anymore officially. He was on half pay. Just the fact he got paid still afterwards is just absolutely jarring to me. I do wonder, you know, when will the day come when British politicians will, you know, fully acknowledge and apologise? I mean, the, the Germans did it. The Germans have done it. The Japanese did it. They both did that for World War Two. So I'm wondering where, where, why are we so high and mighty? I asked this question so many times. Why are we so high and mighty? Pound for pound, we've probably committed much more, a lot of atrocities, right? Just, just I don't want to, you know, compare numbers, but we've done a bit. 
we've done a bit. You know, World War Two, right? And World War One, obviously. You know, they're the, they're the top two. You know, they're they're the ones that people know about, right? And it, it's no surprise that we, you know, herald it, f- you know, so often, and you know, teach it every every year in our primary schools and high schools, especially. You know, we can con- we can we can teach about we can teach you guys about World War Two and World War One till the cows come home. But when it comes to the Emerson massacre, when it comes to uh, the concentration camps, when it uh, when it comes to famine in Kenya, oh no, oh no, no, we can't. We we can we can merely acknowledge that. We won't apologize for it because we we don't want to reach back in history. We don't want to reach back in history. It's it's a hypocrisy that I can't stand. It's a, it's a I can't stand it. I really can't stand stand that kind of shit. When I see you know the British talking about a another country, right, and it and you know talking about how I don't know how civil they have to be and stuff like this. When not even hun- just a hundred years ago, we were in the exact place. Well, not even the exact place. We actually had power and the barbarism. So you know there are some there are some countries around where you can clearly look at them and just go these are a lot of barbaric right, but you know what's worse than being barbaric, being powerful and barbaric, and that's what Britain was for a good good chunk of a couple of hundred years, a few hundred years, several hundred years, you know, and it's it's only it's it's been buried to it's been buried some most of it. It's been buried. The history's been buried, and you know, swept to the wayside. And you know, it's 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 good. It's 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 great if you want to, you know, if you if you want to see Britain as this utopia, of um, you know, amazing democracy and you know, stiff upper lips and tea and crumpets and all this. You know, there's a, there's that great touristy way of looking at Britain, and you know, it's it's all well and good. But when you're, when, but when Germany has the moral high ground in acknowledging their tragic, uh, their their massacres and their wrongdoings, we're doing something wrong. We're, we're doing something wrong. Okay, that's that's basically what it is. We're 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 doing something horribly wrong here, and it's just something that really needs to be checked some some freaking day. But anyway, I continue. So I'm going to move on to sports, and we're still sticking into the. We're, we're still we're, we're we're moving we're shifting a little bit. We're shifting a little bit. You know, we're not talking about colonialism here, but we're, we're going to talk about a bit of racism. So let's get into this. This is about Kate Smith. Now, if you don't know who Kate Smith is, you are you you're, you're probably forgiven because well no you're forgiven because Kate Smith is basically uh, a. A, a singer, right? She was a singer in the known in the nineteen thirties and forties America. Uh, she was actually known as the first lady of radio. So basically, yeah, that that kind of that kind of uh, in in that old time, the Boardwalk Empire for for a reference to give you guys a reference, that kind of time, you know. Atlantic City was bang booming, you know, stuff places like that, you know. That's where Miss Miss Smith was um, was around, okay. But she's been in, she's uh, coming back into the news recently because <laughs> I, I do I do wonder you know sometimes how these stories come about and how they didn't come quicker you know what I mean but the, but hey ho it's a good a good a time as any and the best time is usually the present so no time like the present I guess so this is the story 
of K. Smith and the New York Yankees and Philadelphia Flyers, uh, NHL team, hockey team, uh, has dropped the singer's rendition of God Bless America, excuse the plane, amid racism accusations. Yes, so this is going to get incredibly, incredibly just cringe. <laughs> just This is going to get cringe. This is uh, via the independent big up uh, Clements Michelon. The New York Yankees and Philadelphia Flyers have dropped Kate Smith's recording of God Bless America amid accusations of racism against the singer. A Yankee spokesman told the New York Daily News on Thursday that the club, which typically plays the song during the seventh inning stretch, takes, quote, social, racial and cultural sensitivities very seriously and is erring on the side of sensitivity. Flyers officials said on, uh, said on Friday they also plan to remove Smith's God Bless America recording from the library. They say several of her songs performed by Smith, quote, contain offensive lyrics that do not reflect our values as an organisation. <laughs> so, so what, so what are these songs, you ask? I'm glad you asked. Let's get into this. Uh, the Flyers are covering a, st- the Flyers, the Flyers are also covering a statue of Smith outside the arena, following the Yankees in cutting ties and looking into allegations of racism against a 1930s star. Here's where we get to the fun part. The claims are related to several Smith songs, including the 1939, they don't say smash hit, but I'm saying for comedic effects, smash hit, that's why the darkies were born. <laughs> Fuck you know. Which originated in the 1931 Broadway review George White Scandals. That song and... <laughs> and the top charting hit... Picking any heaven, which also, which is also part of Smith's repertoire, both have demeaning lyrics towards people of colour. Smith's likeness also appears in a 1939 ad that heavily uses the Mammy character, caricature, one of the most well-known racist depictions of black women. The singer died in 1986. Her connection with the Flyers started in 1969 when the team executive awarded her version of God Bless America to be played instead of the Star Spangled Banner. That led to her performing the song several times before the games, excuse me, in 1970s. So this, this is, uh, this is, I, I just find this entirely quite funny to be fair. Because how, how, how long? Why did it take you lot so long? I mean, I'm not, I'm not firing shots because I've never heard of Kate Smith until a few days ago when I read this. But if you're using an artist, right, for a rendition of you know this is this is this is the thing isn't it you know when people go oh you're oh you know you're you're erasing history you know going you know hopping back to what we were talking about the life segment you're erasing history you know people people get really well especially americans in this day and age they get really riled up when you talk about you know confederate statues and and you know removing those and now you know the flyers are considering removing the kate smith statue and all this yada yada it's funny isn't it it's funny how you know people can get so hoity-toity about their sports and you know and, and and about you know their traditions and stuff like this but when it comes to massacres oh no oh no let's not let's wait a minute let's not let's not dive in history come on let's let's not dive in there's no point move on you know and this is what i'm saying to you guys if you have anything against this happening about kate smith's music not being used get over it just, just straight up get over it. Straight up, get over it. This is the, this is, 
a no-brainer. This is a this is a more like of a what took you so long, you know? Because <laughs> pick picking any heaven, and that's why the darkies were born. Oh, you know what? Just for fun, just for fun, let's look up the lyrics. Let's look up the lyrics for one of them. Just to, just 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 for just for the just for the um. Let's get the flavour. Let's get the flavour of what Kate Smith was really about. You know, let's let's get into this. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's get the lyrics up. Where can I find the lyrics? Lyrics, lyrics, lyrics. Lyrics freak. There we go. Uh, da, da, da. Let's get into this. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> this is great. This is amazing. I'm really enjoying this. Brothers, sisters, when this world began, there was work to be done, and it seemed that someone left it to the coloured man. Brothers, sisters, what must be, must be. Though the balance is wrong, still your faith must be strong. Accept your destiny. Ooh, the good old manifest destiny uh, quote. There you go. Nice. <laughs> Fucking hell, this is crazy. Someone had to pick the cotton. Someone had to pick the corn. Someone had to slave and be able to sing. That's why the darkies were born. <laughs> bars. Absolute bars. Fuck, you know. And it took you guys until 2019 to realise that this this woman is highly questionable. <laughs> highly questionable. Jesus Christ. Someone had to laugh at trouble. Okay. Though he was tired and worn, he had to be contented with any old thing. That's why the darkies were born. <laughs> Sing, sing, sing when you're weary, and sing when you're blue. Sing, sing, that's what you taught all them white folks to do. Someone had to fight that old devil, shout out, shout about Gabriel's horn. Someone had to stoke that old train, that would bring God's children to green pastures. That's why the darkies were born. This is, this is amazing, this is amazing. I, I, I can't really, this, I don't really, the reason I'm not really, you know, give my opinion on this much is because it's kind of if if my opinion hasn't you know come through in this really funny rendition of just like trying to look up her lyrics it's just great my my opinion is this this is fine this is fine i don't i don't care i could not care less and you know if you were if you're like a if you're like a music historian a u.s you know radio historian whatever then sure, you're going to be talking about Kate Smith for the rest of your life. And that's fine, because, you know, she's a, she was a radio star, and that's understandable. I'm not saying... I'm never I'm never a proponent of erasing history on any, on any level, whether it's negative or positive, okay? I feel like it should all be... It should all be there. It should all be there for us to take in and to make our decisions on whether it's good or not, and, you know, how to learn from are, you know, past mistakes from a societal perspective, right? Erasing history is good for nobody, okay? Except except for probably the people that want to erase it. Um, the reason why, you know, publications like, well, publications, books, novels, like, you know, Fahrenheit, 451, and uh, 19, uh, uh, what's the George Orwell, George Orwell novel? 1980, what is it, 1984? What is it? I've actually totally forgotten about it. Let me let me get that up right quick. Anyway, yes, yeah, nineteen eighty four. So, the reason why those books, you know, talk about 
erasing history and, you know, trying to, and, and, you know, the powers that be trying to, you know, tell you what to think. You know, not to get too tinfoil hat about it, but the reason why they do that is is for, you know, to build up an agenda and to, you know, create a full sense of whatever they want, they're looking for, whether it's patriotism or, you know, just glory, you know, they, they try and remove the negative and try to make it positive or they just remove the negative at all and they don't talk about it. It's just one or the other. And this is a matter of, you know, she doesn't need a statue. She really doesn't need a statue. If you're a, if you want to know about K Smith, you can Google K Smith. You can you can do that to your heart, you know, to your heart grows full. You know, you can you can you can fill up on that all you want. There is no need for a statue. A statue is a you know a it's it's optional. You know, it's optional. You know, the the, the reason why you don't need Confederate statues is because we can easily look up Confederate history, you know? We, we, well, I don't know how easy it is, actually, but, you know, you can look it up. You can look it up if you, want, if you want to know about it. You don't need a statue. A statue is unnecessary. It really is unnecessary. So, as it pertains to all this, I am completely fine with it. I don't, you know, honestly, I couldn't really care less. I don't I don't go to baseball games, obviously, clearly, and I don't go to NHL games, clearly. So, you know, this this doesn't this doesn't affect me. This this is no skin off my nose. But I just found it a completely funny story that it just it took these people so long to clock that <laughs> she had songs like When the Darkies were uh, <laughs> When the Darkies were born and uh Picking in Heaven. <laughs> Oh god. Uh and also on a side note, uh Disney Plus have actually are actually going to remove all the uh the the questionably racist co- uh content they have on some of their films. So, um you know, just a shout out to that. So, continuing. Let's move on to um let's move on to film and TV. We're going to talk about Hollywood and the this is actually something that I've been wanting to talk about for a while where, you know, I I know you know I know people you know everyone knows a person that watches reality TV okay you know whether it's your parents whether it's your you know family members you know friends girlfriend boyfriend whatever you know everyone knows somebody that watches reality TV and consumes it reg- on the regular okay so I sometimes you know are uh, um, um, inflicted upon people love to show me stuff that I don't want to watch <laughs> I'm just like. Why are you making me watch this? You know, I've I've been culprit. I've been a victim to that abuse before, and this is, and something that I've noticed, you know, from some some shows, you know, not all the shows, but some shows, is when, when like a, a you know, someone's pregnant, you know, when 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 that's a whole when that is a storyline in a reality TV show for like a season or whatever, you know, what I mean, I find it really suspect. I don't, I don't, I, you know, we know what reality TV is, it's not, te- excuse me, it's not technically reality, reality, you know what I mean, it's, it's, there's a scripted element, it's a loosely scripted element show kind of thing, you know what I mean, that's how it works, so when someone gets pregnant, you can't help but, well, I can't help anyone, I don't know about you guys, but I can't help but think, did, did, was that baby born, was that baby made and born for TV? 
like literally be for a TV storyline. You know, it's not. It, I just find that very questionable and very suspect. Every time I every time I see that kind of thing, I'm just like, huh. It just puts me off a little bit. It's just it's just a bit. You know, there's a bit of um, it's a bit grim. It's a bit disgusting on that end. Anyway, so this is a but this is a kind of an offshoot of that. This is a Hollywood Reporter article, uh, uh, opinion piece from uh, the Goat, the greatest of all time, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, called "How Misbehaving Stars Use Their Kids as Branding Enhancing Props." So this is kind of uh, on the back of the you know the university uh, scandals, uh, you know Laurie Loughlin and you know actresses and uh, you know famous people, parents, you know just uh, putting their kids through. Uh, college and paying for them basically and you know not on merit so this is kind of an offshoot of that as well so it goes when the famous bribe their kids into college or parade them on tv they're really using the facade of a perfect family to burnish their own image and justify their own bad behavior so he goes into it we've all seen horrendous news reports of desperate parents leaping into a uh, roiling ocean to save their drowning children only to also drown most parents understand that thrumming visceral impulse to do anything, to pay any price to help their children. Many Americans come from self-sacrificing parents or grandparents who took undertook perilous voyages to come to this country, only to work and live in humiliating poverty so that their children could go to college and have the best life possible. But the recent scandal celebrities like Felicity Huffman, who pled guilty and is facing 4 to 10 months in prison, and super and the super wealthy bribing their kids' entry into top colleges isn't about helping their children have a better life. The privileged life they already have is pretty damn good. It's more about parents purchasing the facade of having a perfect family and attempt to prove to the world that they have not neglected their children in their ambitious and their own ambitious drive to be successful. College cheating is only one example of how some celebrities, whether in film, business, or politics, use their children as lovable props to enhance their brand and to justify consistently bad behaviour. This kind of public relations parenting is especially obvious in many reality shows. See? We're getting into it. When a parent has acted particularly heinously and underhandedly with other cast members, the show likes to cut to a touching scene of the culprit playing with or cooking meal for their precious children to prove to the audience that they are actually good, actually good everyday people. Some interactions are truly touching and authentic, such as when Real Housewives of Beverly Hills' Carl Richards' family took her daughter across the country to college, but other parent-child interactions are as phony as the infamous video of Ted Cruz trying to get his children to act loving toward him and failing. These intimate scenes lose a little sentimental luster when we realise the parents have also have two nannies and a full-time cook. This doesn't mean that these parents are staging, staging their children are bad parents, just bad people for using them in such a manipulative way. While there seems to be a difference between reality shows and real-life wealthy politicians and business people isn't as great as you might think. Reality show producers may edit shows to shape the narrative, but, but the cast then takes to social media to massage or amplify the message. Behold, I'm a great parent. This is no different than Kentucky Governor Matt Bevin defying his own state's mandatory vaccination law, vaccination law by deliberately exposing his nine children to chickenpox. What a fucking nut job. Anyway, continuing, sorry. That was, that was completely impulsed by me. <laughs> then going to the media to brag about it. Again, what a nut job. 
His children became props in his political brand. It's like car salespeople who decorate their office with multiple photos of their wholesome family at barbecues, at the old league, and splashing happily in the pool so we will find them more trustworthy as they upsell us on undercoating and mag wheels. The indignant proclamation that, quote, I would do anything for my children, unquote, becomes less convincing when we realise that there's the unspoken caveat of unless it affects my image. Being a good parent doesn't excuse bad behaviour. When a parent li- when a person lies, backstabs, spreads rumours, or verbally and physically attacks those they call friends, that's the real parenting lesson going on, because now they are establishing role models for their f- children, and, because millions are watching, for other children. And all the child-hugging and tearing up when discussing them and buying them expensive cars does not wash away the grounding stench of mum and dad smirking while throwing public shade at a quote-unquote friend. They embrace the mantra of reality show villains, it's not enough that I succeed, all my friends must also fail. What makes being a parent so hard is it is it's filled with inevitable mistakes and a long list of hindsight regrets. But if those mistakes and regrets are made in the best interest of the child rather than the financial benefit of the parent, they are easier to accept. Some reality show parents are so obsessed with self-promotion that they parade their children like products on QVC. Oddly, the main feature they coo coo over is their children's model-ready looks, not their intelligence. For them, educating their children is not a priority. A top-shelf diploma is. Most of the children being used are too young to judge the long-term damage to themselves and to their relationship with their parents. Kids generally love their parents no matter what they do, no matter how many millions they've embezzled, embezzled, whose health care they're trying to take away, whose reputations they've destroyed. Parents who bribe their children's admissions into colleges and universities have not substantially improved the potential features of those children, and they've robbed a more deserving person of theirs. It doesn't matter whether their child attends Yale, USC or Stanford, versus community college or a state college. The children already have money, and undoubtedly those same parents will also influence the the jobs those kids will eventually get, if any. They are buying prestigious alma mater for themselves and their undeserving children, while teaching their children the invaluable lesson that the rich get whatever they want because they deserve it. Everyone else can suck it. Like the Bob, like Bob Dylan sang, money doesn't talk, it swears. Some might think that it's unfair to judge other parents' par- other, others' parenting, but that's kind of the point of a reality show. It's basically like a sporting event in which the fans get to judge the players' choices. Should LeBron have passed that ball rather than taking the shot? Should Kershaw have walked the batter or tried to strike him out? On many reality shows, score is kept by how many apologies each player thinks they are owed by the other players with little insight into their own culpability. This lack of self-awareness of taking responsibility for corrupting their children under the guise of loving them is no different to for those who bribe their ch- to get their children into a university. They are promoting the ideals of entitlement to their children. To those that those who have deserve, that those who have deserve to have more. If people thrust their children into the spotlight's accessories, we in the bleachers can rightfully judge their parents' choices. But sometimes the consequence of this kind of sporting event spills out into society and affects those not in the game. Valuable college spots are taken away from deserving students, thereby affecting their entire futures. Children are encouraged to forsake higher education in pursuit of physical glamour. Child. Children are exposed to potentially life-threatening diseases or become carriers to infect others. When that happens, the game has to change or the players removed. 
I'll, I'll end it there. There is one more. There is one more paragraph, but uh, I think the point has been made. This is this is exactly why I can't I can't watch these kind of shows. I can't. It's just it's just grim. It really is the grim. It is like sport. It's just watching people count up how much you know how great their children are, and then they're just either doing shitty things for their children or just. Or, or or bigging them up for re for 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 reasons that are you know very hollow. Oh my ch- my child looks great, my child's model ready, and that isn't the be all and end all. It really isn't. And you know, Kareem didn't talk about the what I was talking about. You know, when they when I sometimes think that when you know they have a baby or you know get pregnant, I just can't help but think there's an ulterior motive here. You know, that's that's and. Hey, if they're doing it when the children are growing up, then why shouldn't conception be in the same boat? You know what I mean? So, you know, if anyone asks why I don't, you know, uh, watch reality TV, this is a big reason why. This is a large reason why. And it's also a large reason why politicians piss me off. Because, well, especially American politicians, when they do that kind of shit. He infected with their children with chicken pox. Are you actually freaking kidding me? That is actually... So- Imagine that. Imagine your parents, right, unnecessarily infecting you with a disease. And then potentially infecting others. What's an absolute freaking idiot? That dude should be sued or jailed. There's some some repercussion. Actual idiot. You're lucky it was only chicken pox. Excuse me. What if that shit was like measles or some shit? You know, or, or something that actually kills someone. You actual twat. You actually a twat. And, you know, I know British politicians don't flex that hard. And I'm so glad they don't. But, damn, son. That is that is just grim. That is straight up grim. And, you know, on another front, you know, this is kind of a... There's an elite elitism conversation here as well. You know, where, you know, people that have... People that have, you know, paid their children to get into colleges, right, on a scholarship or whatever, there is a place there that has been filled by somebody undeserving. And that means someone who is deserving of it didn't get that place. And I always, always try and think, who is that person? And, and did, you know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, failure is a great lesson, is a great motivator. It really is, but some people don't take it that way. Sometimes, you know, it's, some people don't take it that way. Just straight up, they, you know, when they, uh, some people take colleges and universities seriously, and if they don't get to go to the one they wanted to, then you know that might, you know, crush them a bit. That might generally crush them. So, what when what happens when they when they don't get it? And you know, maybe there there are many there are many uh, children. Or well, teenagers at this point, and young adults at this point, where you know they see uh, Felicity Huffman's kid, and they go, "Huh, that's the exact same course I was going for. That was the exact same university I was going for, and I got rejected, even though I was like, you know, deserving of it." Yeah, it's 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 there's an elitism in that as well, where it's just it's just. Poor people can't do that. <laughs> they straight up can't. They have to do it by merit. They have to do it by you know, 
academic success and money is money's freaking evil bro money's straight up evil like it just it does some it does some bad shit to people i tell you like, and yeah that's 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 pretty much it that's guy if again if you ask why i don't watch reality tv that's that's partly why that's that's a big reason why i just especially with shows like that you know real housewives and loving hip-hop and I can't do it. I can't. I can't do it because whenever children, a child's there, I'm just like, they, they're not. They don't. They don't say I don't want to be in the show. They don't have consent. They're just there, and the cameras are there. No, they don't have consent. So it's just unfortunate. So the last thing I want to talk about is something that I have been. I, I, you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to big myself up on this. I have not been pushing this, okay? I have not been pushing this. This is something that has come around completely organically, and I am simply putting my opinion towards this. This is the music segment. We are talking about Drake, and we are talking about Culture Vulture, okay? Let's get into this, okay? If you've heard the story, you've heard the story, and if you know my opinions on Drake, then you already know what I'm going to say. But I want to go through this as if... You know, just I just want to go through the process, and maybe maybe my opinion is different. Maybe, M- maybe. <laughs> so this is uh this is what I'm gonna read is uh from uh, Herschel Pan- Pandia of uh, DJ Booth, and and it's called Drake isn't brackets really a culture vulture. Sitting around the dinner table a few years ago, my dad and I got into the debate about cultural appropriation. We'd been talking about a news story that had gone viral about a white couple who hosted a Bollywood-themed wedding. Jesus Christ. And in response to the irritation in my voice, my dad told me he thought I was getting riled up about nothing. Despite having witnessed the lingering effects of cultural exploitation in India firsthand, my dad, nonetheless, held the opinion that this, wed- that this wedding was flattering celebration rather than a pun... Pernicious? Pernicious? I forgot how to say that word. Pernicious hijacking of our culture. We talked in circles for about 30 minutes before we eventually got too tired to debate anymore and we dropped the issue. For better or worse, this is a reasonably accurate microcosm of how all conversations about appropriation unfold online. Cultural groups are not ideological monoliths, so it's nearly impossible to form a consensus about what constitutes appropriation in our own communities, let alone with society at large. Viewed through the lens of this societal societal discord, Drake's sticky reputation as a culture vulture is curious. Despite a lack of consensus about what this term even means, the label has affixed itself firmly into to Drake for most of his career, rearing its head in reference to his well-documented forays into different genres and collaborations with buzzing artists. This past weekend, Drake took to took the time to address these char- charges. Explicitly during a radio interview with BBC One, uh, BBC Radio One's One Extra Rap Show, quote: "I hate that people think that me being into music from these kids that are trying to make it, trying to make it and build a name for themselves is like, oh, that's some culture vulture. What does that even mean? I don't understand. Would you rather me not acknowledge anything or support? That, uh, let's put a pin in that. I don't understand. Would you rather me not acknowledge it, acknowledge anything or support?" Just put a pin in that. That's some real confused hate shit. I'll never understand how supporting somebody's song or even going a step further giving somebody a song or linking up, I'll never understand how that is not viewed as something admirable. (laughs) Wow. 
big up yourself. <laughs> it's something admirable. But I guess people have their own outlook on it. Of course, the reason people have their own out outlook on the issue is that the optics of these collaborations aren't always in Drake's favour. Having attained his current status of one of the biggest artists in the world by continuously keeping his finger on the pulse of the latest mu music's latest trends, any moves he makes to experiment with new music, new soundscapes and or collaborate with emerging artists are inevitably going to be seen as uh, by some as cynical, cynical or predatory. Put a bit in that. Admittedly, there are specific instances where he's erred on the wrong side of this line, like the many times he's emulated a fake Jamaican accent, or when he flipped Dram's cha-cha into hotline bling, without giving him credit. But just the same, there are other instances where Drake's detractors are simply reading his intentions in bad faith. It's worth noting the benefits of Drake's cosigns, while sometimes dis uh, disproportionate, are, always nearly, are nearly always mutual. Consider the career boosts future Migos have received when Drake hopped onto the remixes of their songs Tony Montana and Versace. There's little doubt future Migos would have broken into the mainstream eventually, but to act like Drake's endorsements didn't speed this process along would be disingenuous. Were these songs hit records that bolstered Drake's street creds and kept his name in the conversation? Absolutely. Yet, considering how immensely beneficial his participation was, for everyone involved, you really have to squint to his views, uh, view his actions as malicious. Where this change appears to carry more weight, however, is in regards to Drake's brief involvement with artists like Blockboy JB, I Love McConan, and Ram Riddles. In these instances, instances you can conceivably make the argument that Drake, uh, Drake manipulatively used these artists for personal gain. But if you were to ask to raise to raise the point raise this point, it'd only be logical to ask yourself what it was you felt Drake owed to these artists in the first place. When you boil it down, Drake essentially committed to the crime of giving these artists a signal boost they were unable to capitalise on. It was hardly a Machiavellian act. The odds he engaged with some, <coughs> some sort of conniving trickery just to hijack the songs Look Alive Tuesday and Sweeter Man, all of which will ultimately be forgotten in the grand scheme of his career, seem rather low. Uh, excuse me. Uh, missed out, a, missed out a swipe. When you, yeah, sorry. His incentives for wanting to co-opt a co-opt an entire culture's musical genre, however, are a little more intuitive. You could point to the way he leveraged Afro beats to make one dance, for example, as an indication Drake sometimes takes from the genres than he gives back. Put a pin in that. Simply collaborating with Wizkid, while certainly is, uh, while certainly a good start, doesn't seem like an adequate repayment to the West African region that pioneered the template for one of the biggest hits of his career. Yet, it wouldn't be fair to make the same accusation about Drake and his love for grime. Oh boy. Which saw an explosion in worldwide popularity after Drake first started spotlighting artists like Step Skepta, Giggs, or More Life. Ditto, New Orleans Bounce, which became sought-after commodity after Drake reintroduced the world at large to Big Frida on Nice For What. Given his perpetually ex experimenting with new genres, it's Drake's responsibility to continuously reckon with the thorny questions about whether he's adequately, adequately respecting these genres or harmfully appropriating them. He hasn't always arrived at the right answer, hence the culture vault debate he incites. But it's worth noting that his it's worth noting his success rate seems to be trending upward. In the meantime, much of the world has learned more about grime, Afrobeats, New Orleans bounce, Miami juke, and the various other genres from Drake than they have other singular mainstream artists currently releasing music. If the trade-off for this is a few circular conversations like the one I had with my dad a few years ago, I'd say it's probably worth it. Now, 
my immediate response to that is I don't think it's worth it. I honestly don't think it's worth it. This 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 let's go let's start from there, right? Is this all worth it? You know, is the fact that he's bigging up people like Skepta and Giggs, putting him on more life, you know, bigging up Wizkid, putting him on a track, you know, is this all worth it? My answer is no. And the reason why is because the average consumer of music are not explorative at all. The, the, the average music consumer listens to the playlist they like, they listen to, they create their own playlist and listen to that, you know, I am a culprit of that, I have my own regular rotation, but the difference between the average Joe and a person like myself, well, there's obviously different, re- I have reasons to listen to music these days, but, you know, I enjoy the fact that I do that, I explore, I explore, you know, when I see a, what was it, um, you know, I was on a bit of a, I was on, I've been on a bit of a, um, you know, jazz exploration recently, you know, just in terms of UK jazz especially, you know, in the past year I've seen, I've heard people, you know, like Alpha Mist and Nubia Garcia and Theon Cross, right, you, you, have you guys ever heard of those names until now, right, okay, so let's say Drake hopped on a track with Alpha Mist, for example, right, you know, Alpha Mist, he's a keyboard player, he's doing some key work, you know, ding, 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 you know, he's, he's doing he's doing his thing, right? And then Drake hops on, right? Let's say that charts, okay? Are you going into are you gonna go into UK jazz more often because Drake hopped on a track for uh, on one track with Alpha Mist? Answer 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 that question for me in your head. The answer is probably not. And I, that's why I don't think it's worth it. Because the, especially the average Drake listener, okay, and I do generally think, you know, I don't have any statistics, this is a pure opinion, I believe, you know, Drake fans, the majority of them, are the one of the least explorative uh, fan bases ever. Ever. I'm hyping up, I'm, I'm exaggerating, I'm trying not to exaggerate, but I do believe Drake fans are the least explorative. You know, they will listen to one dance, right, and they will mess with that vibe, but but I do really really genuinely think that they're going to look in Afrobeats like that. No. Do you think they're going to look in the grime like that? No. And t- and another thing, it's not grime, right? That that what the the them tracks that Drake was purveying in that was UK rap, not grime. That's the difference. Anyway, yes. This is this is this is my first point. It's not. It's it doesn't it doesn't help. I don't think it helps. It may help you know certain people's careers. And, you know, similar to in going and combating that with the, you know, hopping on I Love McConan's track and, you know, people like those, they didn't take advantage of it. And that's on them, right? But, again, this is, the difference is Skepta and Drake, uh, Skepta and Giggs had careers beforehand. They had careers beforehand. I Love McConan did not have a career beforehand, let's be real, okay? Uh, you know, Migos and Future... I would give you that, right? I would give you that. I'll happily give you that. Drake did big them up, and it helped them, you know, get to the mainstream quicker. It gen- it genuinely did, you know. When people, when actually, when you know, when Versace dropped initially, people were roasting that, and then for some reason, when Drake hopped on it, it was suddenly acceptable, <laughs> which I, I which just makes me laugh. It just just makes me laugh. Anyway, 
So my first point there is that is this this whole thing I do not think is a positive for outside genres. I do not think it. You know, you you're not nobody listens to Nice for what for Big Frieda's feature. Come on, stop that. That is not that is not a co- that, that, that doesn't correlate. You're not going to listen to Nice for what right and then go into New Orleans bounce. You're not going to do that. Okay. My second point is the, you know, I, you know, straight up, right, I won't call him a culture vulture. I call him a positivity leech. By positivity leech, and I've literally created that, like, you know, literally as I, as, as I uh, read the article a few, a couple days ago, uh, or when it dropped, actually, um, he's a positivity leech. By that, I mean, he will happily take the good of all the, the you know, of all that subgenre offers, right? He will happily take the, the, the macho, you know, nature of UK rap, you know, he'll, he'll happily take all that. He'll, he'll take the fat, you know, bass lines and, you know, the, the deep, the, 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 the deep, um, the, the deep hit beat hits, you know, he, he'll take all those happily, he'll take all the positivity from UK rap, he'll take as much as he wants, right, but, but when's he, when's he going to talk about knife crime, hmm, when's he, when's he, when's he going to talk about knife crime, and, um, you know, stuff like, um, you know, the, the child poverty, and, you know, lack of community centres for the, for the youth, when, when's he, when's he going to talk about that, See that's a thing with that's a thing with Drake overall that I just that just irks me, you know. I'm not expecting him to be you know, you know, Black Lives Matter number one. You know, I'm not expecting him to be that, to be that person. But with a platform like that, and again, I'm not saying he should he should he has to do it. He doesn't have to. But if you're going to take these elements of other people's music. Accept it all, accept it all, because that is what I this this is the one thing I just really don't like about all of this. The fact that he can hap- he will happily take, you know, everything good about a certain genre and not get into any of the negativity that is behind that is behind our genre. Every genre has their negative elements. Every every genre has trap has the negative elements of drugs and you know dying from lean. You know stuff like that. He, but, but no, he doesn't talk about that. He'll talk about ice on my wrist, blue mink. You know he'll get into that. He'll happily get into that. He'll happily get into the flex flex bars, but he won't get into any of the you know other other you know uh, avenues that you can go down with trap or any other or any other sub subgenre. So, you know. If you're gonna and if you're gonna call him a culture vulture, I think we should have levels of culture vulture. And I don't. And I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. I don't subscribe to that. But if you want to, you can. You probably could. Similar to how there are, you know, versions of self-made. You know, you know, uh, with the recent, you know, um, you know, a few months, a couple of months ago, there was that Kylie Jenner, you know, self-made, youngest self-made uh, billionaire or millionaire, well, billionaire, yeah. You know, and people going like, she's not self-made. You know, you can say she's self-made, but it's not the typical, you know, dictionary definition of self-made. There's Kylie Jenner self-made billionaire, and then there's Oprah self-made billionaire, okay? Those are two wildly different things. 
You can call themself. You can call Kylie Jenner self-made if you want. You can call Drake a culture vulture if you want. <clears throat> but it's not like inter- it's not like the Miley Cyrus, you know, the the Miley Cyrus level of culture vulture. She's culture vulturing in the fashion that she's again similar to Drake, hopping on a wave. She hopped on the hip hop wave. She tried it. She did the twerking thing. I think it was the MTV Awards, whatever it was. And it was sickening. It was sickening. And where's she at now? She back into the country scene, baby. She back into the country scene. She's d- leaning back into that. So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And I don't have to talk about the Jamaican paddle bollocks, you know, that was just. If you, if you find that. If you find that acceptable in any way, you, you're an idiot. Let's be real, you are a freaking idiot. But yeah, I, I just wanted to go on the actual points I wanted to talk about and not shit on Drake because <clears throat> as much as you guys think I hate Drake, you know, in some fashions I do respect him. In some fashions, not all fashions, in some fashions, you know, the fact that he revived Top Boy, I highly respect that. I will shake his hand for him, for bringing back, for helping bring him back for uh, Top Boy. Because I've been wanting that for years. So, you know, I'm not hating on the fact that he brought that back. But this is the level. This is where we're getting to. There's helping executive produce, right, and fund and bring back a show as, you know, gritty and, you know, Britain, full-on London-British, you know, show like Top Boy. But I swear to God, if he makes a cameo, I'm going to flip the fuck out. And that's the level, that's the line we are at. Okay, that's the line. And it's very, and I think it's very visible, you know. And when he was talking about, oh, can't, can't I appreciate a culture? Can't I, can't I show support and show love? Yes, yes, you can, Drake. You can show love to, you can show love to Grime, UK rap, Afro beats, uh, dance hall, reggae. You can, you can show you all the support you want for that kind of stuff, right? But stop hopping on the tracks as if you are an actual proponent of that culture. It's not... I, I see through you, my guy. I see through it. And it's the exact same line with Top Boy. He can happily be behind the scenes and fund it and, you know, put money into it. Good, good, put money into it. But if you do a cameo in that shit, I will flip the fuck out. Because there is no way in hell... A Canadian dude is going to turn up in Top Boy. Just from a narrative perspective, it doesn't make sense. And I'll find it actually very interesting if he ever, you know, actually puts genuine money into other cultures. Uh, because he doesn't put money into his label. And that's the end of what's good. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I kept it quiet. I kept it quiet, you know. I could have gotten angry, you know. But I kind of... I just wanted to keep it calculated, you know what I mean? I just wanted to keep it chill. Because I'm in a good mood. I'm in a good mood. And I didn't want the news stories to, root, to you know, make me, you know, flip out. But, you know, I, I you know, again, I always want to highlight the stories uh, that, that I think matter. Anyway, so... That is What's Good uh, from the Fifth Element Podcast Network. This has been What's Good. I have been Charlie Taylor. Look at thefifthelement.org.uk for all the links uh, for this show. And I will see you guys next week. Have a great week, ladies and gentlemen. Take it easy.